Your views, your news, your Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Now, four Irish writers you may have seen have made the long list for the prestigious Booker Prize. And we frequently have esteemed authors on this show with many Limerick and Limerick-based writers winning international and national recognition for their work. Why does Ireland punch so much above its weight when it comes to writing and what can we do to support emerging talent? And joining me to discuss this is Paul Lynch who made the Booker Long List and uh, writers well known to us here on the show uh, both Limerick-based Roisin Meany and Padraig Kenny and you are all most welcome this morning. Delighted to be discussing uh, this and uh, Paul, first of all, congratulations, of course, for being long-listed for uh, the Booker Prize. Um, but just let listeners know, you have a, a nice Limerick connection yourself, don't you? Good morning, Joe. I, I do indeed. I mean, I was born in Limerick. All my family are from Limerick. Um, I was carted up to Donegal uh, as an infant because because my, uh, my father um, took a job at the Coast Guard there. Um, but my parents are now living back in Limerick, Limerick City, out in Ross Bryan. And um, so, I mean, I'm I'm sort of half Donegal, half Limerick. That's probably the best way of, of describing myself at this point. I think I think Donegal are trying to claim me, and I don't know if Limerick are trying to claim me, but I'm I'm claiming Limerick. So there you go. Right. We're we're happy to hear that. Now, mind you, Donegal isn't a bad county either. It's a, a nice mix, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, and the book that you have made the long list. For, I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because to some extent, it touches on a lot of themes that have been dominant even in our media and in our society over the last few years. You're right, Joe. I mean, it's funny. When I sat down to write the book, I wasn't actively thinking about writing a book that sort of might capture the zeitgeist in a certain kind of way. It's just how it happened. But I would say that in this book, which tells the story of, of a of a of, of a normal woman called Ailey Stack, who's a scientist. She's a mother of four, and she's got three teenagers and an infant. She works for a pharmaceutical company, and she's got a husband who works as a trade unionist for the TUI. And the book opens um, with a knock on the door one evening when the the GNSB, the Garda National Services Bureau, who are Ireland's newly formed secret police, they want to speak with her husband Larry. And so this is the sort of the world we're entering into Prophet Song. It's a world where Ireland has elected a, a government that is populist and sliding towards authoritarianism, sliding towards tyranny. Democratic rights are beginning to disappear. The media is controlled. Multinationals are starting to pull out. The, the economy is collapsing and people are growing afraid and there's a line that i kept reminding myself of by you know the philosopher edmund burke it's a famous line says all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing and this is a world where nobody will speak up because people begin to be afraid and so there's this refrain through the book people think it cannot be it cannot be allowed to happen this cannot be allowed to happen but it does and this is sort of this is the sort of the book becomes in a sort of way a sort of simulation of 
democratic collapse and implosion of of a democratic uh, society. And but yeah. it's always a story about Eilish. It's all and, and I suppose you know obviously it has that uh, international recognition through the Booker. But the very fact that you've referenced things w- that we're so familiar with, you know, the Gardaí, for example, the fact that it's based in Ireland, it, it probably strikes a certain degree of fear into us in a way that it wouldn't elsewhere necessarily. You know, um, there's an old adage in writing that if you want to uh, fix a cliche, you add something improbable to it. And in a certain kind of way, the idea of a dystopic novel set in modern-day Ireland fixes that problem. It's sort of, it's sort of, it's a jarring idea. But the idea that I, that I, the question that I ask is, well, you know, Perhaps, our, like, how many governments does it take to get here? Maybe two or three. That's all it takes for any any democratic society to get there. Um, but these are political questions, and I'm not a political novelist. I'm I'm fundamentally a storyteller. And but this is sort of what what it appears the book seems to be about. Um, right. right. And so, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So the, uh, Paul Lynch telling us about Prophet Song, as I mentioned, long listed for the prestigious Booker Prize, and uh, Patrick Kenny is uh, with me in the studio. And uh, you know, it, I suppose whether you're dealing with um, uh, books for young people or novels as Paul has outlined uh, there, it is such an important role frankly for art to reflect society, to pose questions in different ways, isn't it, Audrey? Oh absolutely, Uh, I mean it's all putting words on a page uh, has to be all and end all really and it it must reflect society and, and things thematically in certain ways which is what I try to do with my own books as well whether it's adult books, whether it's kids' books, they're all a kind of reflection of society in some shape or form. Um, and, and Paul's book is very timely, considering what we're going through at the moment, uh, particularly internationally, in terms of the, the kind of rise of, of right-wing and, and groups and fascism in, in various countries, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So in that, in that sense, it's very timely. Um, uh, and uh, Roisin Meany, good morning to you. How are you doing? Good morning, Joe, and good mor- morning, Podrick, and congratulations and good morning to Paul. Well done. Uh, and I'm wondering, Roisin, about um, wh- when you're writing, uh, you know, what do you think about the reader, the the consumer of your book, or do you at all? You know, maybe I shouldn't confess this, Joe, but I, I really don't. I, I trust that the book will find its readers, um, and I just write a book that I think um, is what I want to write. Um, I, I, I spend a lot of time developing my characters and very character driven. So I think that's the selling point for my book in my head always, that I'm writing characters that hopefully readers will identify with and warm to and root for. Um, my books would be very different from yours, Paul. I'm dying to read Prophet Song, by the way, Joe, because it sounds terrifyingly uh, prophetic hopefully not too prophetic, or hopefully maybe after our time <laughs> that Ireland might descend into that dystopian universe. But um, gosh, yeah, you'd need a strong stomach, I'd say. I remember reading The Road by Cormac McCarthy uh, a few summers ago, and I was reading it in the middle of a hot Spanish summer. I was at a writer's retreat, and even at that, I was petrified. It just scared the living daylights out of me, and I suspect Prophet Song will too. I know, uh, Paul, that you have pointed to some of the supports, the state supports, that have helped you with the writing of this book yourself. Absolutely. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is the, the, the state, the Irish state, provides an enormous amount of support to the Irish arts and to writers in particular. And I've benefited from that. I've had 
I, I received two literature bursaries from the Arts Council while writing this book. It took me four years to write Prophet Song, and it takes the best of me over four years. So that's me approaching this as a full-time career. And at the same time, I, along with all the other Irish writers, are able to avail of um, tax exemption. And so th 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 there's, there's a simple way of, of pointing how all this adds up. If you take just two writers with the same equal amount of talent, okay, let's just imagine two writers with the same amount of talent. One of them has funding and uh, spent six hours a day writing, reading, thinking, in other words, working on a novel, and they do this five days a week. And the other one writes for one hour a day, five days a week, because let's say she has a day job. Then you just do the math. The writer A is going to accrue about uh, close to 8,000 hours of writing over a five-year period, while the second writer who has to have, the, who needs the job, is going to have 1,000, just 300 hours thereabouts. So writer B is just never going to catch up with writer A, or at least it's going to be very difficult, because writer A has shaped their brain around the writing. And this is, this is the key thing. Um, the Irish... The, the, the structural supports here allow Irish writers to really give the best of themselves to their work, and and this is this is the result. This is the payoff. Um, seeing this amount of writers on the booker, you know. Yeah. And, and Padraig, I mean, how else do you think we can encourage talent in writing, especially young talent? Um, we take it seriously, and I 100% agree with what Paul is saying there. I mean, I've been a recipient of Arts Council grants as well, and they're a huge bonus, a huge boon to writers, because they free up time. You don't have to spend uh, every day in a nine-to-five job and then come home and struggle to write uh, for a couple of hours and, and, and be exhausted. Um, so you need to have the supports in place, and, and fortunately the supports are in there. Uh, in terms of supporting people and in getting them writing, I suppose... We're looking in, our, in, a, in a sense in that we're a kind of storytelling nation. I don't want to be corny about it, but our culture is kind of founded upon stories and upon, uh, founded upon talking and discussing and, and telling funny stories and telling stories about our past and stuff like that. So it's kind of, it's part of our DNA. Uh, and we, as a nation, we love telling stories and I think we, we like to cultivate that kind of sensibility. And it's great. And it comes out in our writing, I think, as well. And it comes out in the variety of writing. I mean, Paul Lynch... Paul is a great writer in terms of what he does and what he does with sentences and language, uh, and and another writer, Roddy Doyle, he does different things with sentences and language, um, and we have a lot of women writers at the moment, more than we've ever had, I think, and they're writing about a variety variety of different experiences, uh, writing in different modes. So there's a huge variety going on that there wasn't before. Well, let's ask Roshin. What about women writers then, Roshin? <laughs> what about us? <laughs> yeah, there are <laughs> there are a lot of us. It's true, Padraig. Yeah, they're they're coming uh, from every direction uh, these days, and it's wonderful to see the the young writers coming up and finding their place in in the whole scheme. Um, I've read Elaine Feeney's um, Booker nomination. I've just finished it a few days ago. How to build a boat, and I really enjoyed it. It it, it was so original. It was the most original book I've read in a long time, and I can see why she got the nomination. I also read another young Irish writer's work, Louise Kennedy's Trespasses, which I really enjoyed too. And I'm sorry that she didn't get a mention. But there's so many, so many more, Joe, that just they just keep coming. And um, I, I think publishers are, are probably rubbing their hands in glee, you know, at, at the gloss, really, of talent that's around. And not only female talent, of course, there's plenty of right. uh, male Irish talent as well out well, there. Well, I have a colleague in here who loves ribbing me about artificial intelligence and saying, that's the end of it for you anyway, Joe. Oh, you can, you, can you can forget about it. <laughs> Is it something, Padraig, we should be concerned about? 
Good question. Um, I'll be honest. I've gone online. I tried chat GPT, the artificial intelligence thing, and I've, I've inserted like write an article in the in the style of such and such uh, a writer, uh, a featured writer, you know, um, a columnist. I won't say any names. Yeah. And uh, the results came out, and it didn't con- fully convince me. Um, I I think what chat stuff like that can do is it can get, give a kind of uh, a semblance of something it, it seems to be it, there seems to be an intelligence behind it but there's no heart in it and there's no it, it can't it, for me it doesn't seem to be able to replicate someone's style or someone's soul you know yeah I, because Paul literally well you know dystopian we've been talking about that yeah. in the context of your novel Paul but I, I, what's fascinating here is those who are advocates of AI will say to you no this is not regurgitation this can be creation by artificial intelligence. Do you believe that? You know, Poik is fundamentally right here. And um, AI is never going to be a threat because fiction is fundamentally about voice and voice is soul. When you read a story or, or a novel, voice is, it's the true and authentic tone of, of that teller. True voice is, is sort of unlike any other voice you will ever read. It belongs uniquely to that writer. And Seamus Heaney once said that you know, finding a voice means that you can get your own feeling into your own words and that your own words have the feel of you about them. Now, AI can never do that because to do that requires the, the transmutation of lived experience, life and feeling into art, into sentences that carry the feeling of life. And so, you know, just for a laugh one day, I actually asked AI to write me a short story in the in the in the style of, of Paul Lynch, and what came back was laughably bad and nothing at all like me because it doesn't have soul. Right. Well, that's that's interesting, um, Roshin. The only thing is, again, these AI advocates are suggesting it is only a matter of time when we will not know the difference between the Roshin that we're talking to here. <laughs> And the Roshi that AI will create. The electronic Roshi, the artificial Roshi. Oh my God, the mind boggles. Yeah, I must. I must confess, Joe. I am kind of nervous of it. And um, yes, I agree with you, Paul. That you know, it doesn't have the soul of the actual writer, but. Uh, how many readers would be able to discern that, really? I think, um, you know, a lot of readers just open a book and want to read something that diverts them and distracts them, and wouldn't really maybe be be too um, judgmental about it. That, mm. That's that would be well, my fear. When I was on holidays, I was reading uh, Bill Bryson, who's a great travel writer, of course. Oh, I he, love him. He, he's written a, a, a short book on Shakespeare. And honestly, mm-hmm. his, it is fascinating to read <laughs> him talk about the academics in post-analysis of what Shakespeare did or didn't do versus <laughs> what Shakespeare was trying to do, which was knock out the stuff and get it on the stage. <laughs> so yes, it is, exactly. It's, 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 it's hilarious. It is, it is. It's absolutely... Um, actually, um, Podrick, you mentioned to me during the break a, a remarkable connection between you and Paul Lynch and some other writers around the country yeah we all uh, used to write for the Sunday Tribune and uh, I, I don't know the exact figures but the, the amount of uh, people who worked for the Tribune who went on to become novelists in recent years is is through the roof I think there's myself there's Paul there's Mick Clifford uh, there's um, Paul Howard was he Gap- Paul Howard of course yeah Paul Howard G- Gavin Corbett George uh, Siggins uh, George Siggins writes um, uh, um, children's fiction. Um, um, uh, Adele Coffee. Yeah. It's amazing, uh, isn't it? So what? what, what yeah, it's quite something. Was it, was it in the coffee or what was it? 
There was something about working the Tribune that I found because I, I started working there at 19 as a sub editor and I worked right I worked right up until the end. And there was something about the environment there that just the perhaps because it it, it you know. It didn't have the same level of, of financing that, say, the Irish Times would have or the Sunday, the, the Sunday Independent would have. And so it relied on younger talent. Um, and, and, and so there was this ability to take people in from the universities, people who were really hungry and were really talented, and to sort of, you know, uh, sort of blood them. Um, yeah. and, and, and so, so many... Of, of the country also worked for the Tribune. Well, and it's, it's funny that you should say that because, you know, we have a, a great internship uh, program that we work with the U.S. School of Journalism on and there are people coming into us every six months and you can see all of those things, all that talent. I mean, too much talent, to be honest, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm directly truthful. About Watch your back. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, listen, guys, thank you very much. I really, really enjoyed that chat this morning. The very best of luck to Paul Lynch uh, with uh, his uh, book, uh, Prophet song uh, uh, on the Booker long list and uh, hopefully it goes on to ultimate success. Great to hear about that. Limerick Link as well and obviously to our Limerick based writers who we know well, Roisin Meany and Padraig Kenny we really appreciate your time as well this morning. Thank you. Your views, your news, your Limerick today with Joe Nash on Live 95.